Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast, Match Fix, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get Down to Play today, the UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to Match Fix, a brand new Selk production podcast bringing you everything you want to know about the women's grassroots game. Episode 10 of Match Fix is here and this one is a little different. They're not a player, manager or coach, but they are heavily involved in the women's football world. And it's a real roundup of all things grassroots to international. Speaking of international, yesterday marked 100 days till the women's Euros kicks off next summer. And I really pray that we keep the same energy we're currently seeing for the men's teams for the women's competition next year too. All the legacy projects around the country are super exciting. And if you can get a chance to be involved in one of them, absolutely do it. I've seen lots of teams kick off pre-season again this week, my team included. So good luck to you all um, if you're back on the pitch for friendlies these coming weeks as we start to rebuild towards what will hopefully be an uninterrupted season. This episode actually marks the final one of the first series. I'm taking a short break over the summer, but I just want to say an absolutely massive thank you to each and every one of you who has taken the time to listen to the brilliant chats I've had. And I look forward to talking to and engaging with even more of you in the future when series two comes back. Enough from me. Keep listening for part two. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Part two of episode 10 of Match Fix is here and joining me today is Ben Gilby, who is WSL and women's football writer for South and Western Australia for Beyond 90 and the founder of Impetus. Welcome, Ben. Hi, good to see you. Yes, it's actually a bit weird for us, isn't it? Because this is the first mm. time we're seeing face to face, even though we chat quite a lot. Because I do, yeah. in fact, write for you as well, Impetus. So, yeah. well, I use that term loosely. I've done one post, so yeah, I just keep telling you that I will write something else. I promise. But yeah, this is fun that we're seeing each other actually. Probably kind of, I say face to face. It's still over Zoom. Uh, we're still we're still in Zoom territory. So yeah, uh, yeah. Welcome to the show. Basically, how are you? How's things? I'm good, yeah, it's uh, nice, we've got some decent weather at last and, you know, there's been a chance to see a bit of football as well lately, so it's all, it's all good. Lovely. Um, I mentioned beforehand that I'm going to ask you about lockdown, even though we're in June, because, you know, the pandemic has dominated our lives. So mm. how how did you kind of deal with lockdown? How did you, like, what kept you busy kind of things? Obviously, uh, there's there was kind of still bits of football here and there, but yeah, tell me kind of what kept you busy. Um, well... Basically, I mean, I was really lucky because by by trade, I'm a I'm a teacher at a special school um, for primary age kids, so we had to stay open. So we didn't we didn't shut down whatsoever. Um, although obviously it was made a bit harder because we at times we probably had about half of the kids mm. in and half the kids at home. Uh, so you know that meant that you had to provide education for the half of the class that are in school and half the class that are at home. Mm. Um, that's because the kids that we, we work with, they are completely reliant on their parents to access online learning, which made it quite quite hard for them and obviously hard for the parents as well. But it was really, I'm, you know, I feel really blessed that I had a lot of normality in terms of I was still able to go to work when most people didn't, you know, I was still getting paid when a lot of people weren't. Mm-hmm. Um so, so, yeah, in that respect, the only difference, I guess, was that, you know, there was no football to go and watch at the weekend to try and get a bit of sanity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. Cause, so I work with kids as well. So kind of going from being so, so I work in a centre. So going from being in a centre to then kind of teaching them all online. Just, yeah, it's it's chaos, isn't it? <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's chaos in centre, but it's a different kind of chaos when you're online. So now I totally I uh, empathise with you kind of thing. Um, so. 
let's kind of we're gonna we're gonna start well actually ben you're a little bit of a kind of um a unique guest for this i guess because normally i'm kind of talking to someone who kind of plays the game or they're kind of managing in the game but um i guess let's go back a little bit like do you is there did you play football at all whilst you were growing up like do you play football now at all I played football very badly. Um, you know, I was sort of like the stereotypical kid who was always picked last for, for, for whatever team or whatever sport at, at PE. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the only sport I'm reasonable at is tennis, and that's not saying a great deal. Um, but, you know, I've, I've always liked my sport and I've always liked writing. Um, ages ago, I, I had a book published on rugby union, which was interesting. But, yeah, I kind of got a bit disillusioned with the whole football thing when... You know, sort of the whole, I guess, were around, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s when the money went ridiculous, you know, and you get, you know, all the play acting and, you know, all that, that kind of thing kind of kicked in. And yeah, I kind of got really disillusioned with it then. And I kind of sort of stepped away from football a bit, watched a bit of rugby, watched a bit of non league men's football. Um, and then probably about, I don't know, 2018. Um, a, f- a friend of mine um, got involved as a volunteer at Norwich City Women mm-hmm. um, in the uh, National League Division One South East, um, and I watched a couple of their games. They played AFC Wimbledon down here. They play at Carshorn Athletic, which is not too far from where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing led to another, and I was asked to sort of get involved to do some bits and pieces for them on social media around the time of the World Cup in France to sort of spread a bit of um yeah a bit of their players stories and and things like that um and it wasn't really going to be realistic for me to do anything long term for them because you know the distance between where i live in surrey and and norfolk um so i I started up my women's football website uh impetus um in september 2019 and that kind of bobbed along with a, a small but kind of quite loyal audience for about a year or so um, and then there was one article that came out in October last year um, about Sam Kerr. Now, th- at this point, um, that was when she was in getting sort of real criticism at Chelsea. She was kind of forced off social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of felt, because I've been in a position, I've sort of followed her career quite closely since she was a teenager, so... I've got family who live about 20 minutes up the road from where she was born and brought up um, in Fremantle, Western Australia. Uh, can I remember watching her brother play AFL as he rules to West Coast Eagles years and years and years ago now. Um, you know, and there was talk that, oh, you know, Daniel's got this little sister called Sam. He's not too bad at football. <laughs> um, you know, and it kind of went from there. Um, and then obviously she came over here eventually. So I saw her play for Perth Glory a lot of times out there. And she came over here and joined Chelsea. So I, Having seen her play a lot over the years, I got a bit frustrated with what people were saying because I think they just, it was kind of lazy journalism and lazy criticism because they just saw her as a goal scorer and didn't really get anything else that she did over her career. So, I mean, she's played sort of about eight, six or seven years for Australia without a particularly good goal scoring record because of the way she was being used in the team. Mm-hmm. And that was basically how she was at Chelsea. So, I wrote a piece basically in reaction to that and it just it just it was just ridiculous so within two days i think it got read by about three and a half thousand people around the world mm. um and so all sorts of people got in contact said yeah you know you're, you're kind of right and it just went nuts from there really <laughs> so we've now got some writers in sweden france um australia and easter this year i was approached by beyond 90 who are kind of like the leading independent women's football platform in Australia. They sort of said, well, we've seen some of your stuff and we'd really like to take you on, which is kind of nuts because, you know, you still sort of like stuff like that doesn't happen to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it has. And it's 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 really exciting what's, what's been able to happen as a result. Yeah, nice. Love that. So kind of, that was a slightly roundabout the houses answer, but no, I much enjoyed that. Yeah, so we have established that you are not a football player. <laughs> <laughs> essentially no, from that not. no <laughs> no but that's okay like a little bit of variety in the show is exactly what's needed so yeah you mentioned kind of beyond 90 approached you there so kind of 
um, they saw that Sam Kerr piece, didn't they? And they kind of were like, oh, yeah. Look, I, was that what it was? And they saw the Sam Kerr piece or they just saw bits and pieces no, that you'd written? So, so from there, we, um, we, so I've got quite a lot of interest in a, um, from Australia. And obviously, a lot of, so a lot of the Matildas are playing over here. Mm. Um, so lots of readers, I think they kind of hooked onto that and they kept coming back. So even for like random articles that I was writing on sort of grassroots teams in England were being read by a ridiculous number of people in Australia compared to the, the British audience, which is just crazy. So you were kind of were able to do really good coverage of the W League this year. So they had got um managed to get hold a photographer in Perth and a writer in Melbourne and Sydney. So we actually managed to cover every single game that was played in the W League um this season. And I think that that kind of I think what is what gave sort of gave notice because it was getting stupid numbers of, of um, readers and I think I guess that's where it came from nice um I feel like Australian football is kind of a little bit slept on really like what are your thoughts on that I think people obviously like we've got quite a few kind of Aussies as you mentioned that have kind of come over here now but I feel like people kind of sort of forget that Australian football is actually it's pretty decent kind of the stuff that they play like especially the women's kind of it's quite competitive really isn't it so yeah like what do you think about that I mean, I think the in terms of profile, the Matildas sort of are way above the Socceroos out there. Um, I mean, it's, football's always had it hard because, you know, Aussie rules is the national game and then you've got rugby league and then below that you've got cricket and then below that you've got rugby union. So, you know, football's always struggled to an extent out there. But the Matildas have got far more recognition than the men's team have at the moment. Um, you know, and that's only going to get more apparent now the World Cup's coming in a couple of years' time out there. Um, I think they've got by far the best team that they've ever had at the moment, but mm. they've never quite managed to make it internationally, you know, breakthroughs sort of beyond the second round, court final sort of stage of things. But I think at the moment they've got this, the right coach that could do it in Tony Gustafsson, but I think the Olympics are going to probably be a bit too early. Mm, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, what was the point I was going to make on that one? <laughs> um, now nah, let's just talk Olympics. Let's go there. We're we're we've you've touched on the topic there. So yeah, as I said, we're kind of start kind of start big. So let's talk kind of internationals. Um, obviously, our Olympics team has been kind of announced recently. Like thoughts, feelings, ideas on that old Olympics squad. It's an interesting one. <laughs> I find it a bit frustrating in a way because I kind of feel we're still a bit dangerously stuck in the reliance on the same group of players mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I I think Sandy McKeever was a big loss. I think she would have been, for me, I would have had her in the team personally. I think it's, I think Demi Stokes is slightly questionable. Possibly, I think, it's, you know, a lot of the um, sort of predicted squads she didn't feature massively in those yeah. um, but you know we'll see what happens you know, it, you know it could turn out to be an absolutely inspired choice so let's you know let's not knock, knock anyone before anything's happened I think it's disappointing personally I'm disappointed that Erin Cuthbert's not there Yeah, because I think that um, even though she might not get lots of game times at Chelsea She's kind of the sort of player that you always want in a team because, you know, I kind of feel that even if, you know, it's like a pristine pitch and a beautiful day, she, she'll always be the person that comes off caked in mud because of <laughs> everything she offers a team. You know, there's that famous picture of her after the game at Liverpool. Yeah. Last year in, in um, when the pitch was yeah, a bit wet. Rovers. <laughs> yeah, and that, to me, that's just Erin Cuthbert. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed you've got a Cuthbert shirt behind you as well, as well as a couple of yeah. shirts as well. So that's exciting. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's an, I th yeah, as you say, kind of we're a little bit reliant on kind of some... I'm I'm not a big fan of Millie Bright, if I'm honest. I no. and, her, and her and Horton as like a kind of centre-back duo, I'm not really a fan of them either. I, no, I mean, I think it... it, it because Chelsea just play up the road, so I see them quite a lot. And I think it's really noticeable um, when Magda Eriksson is missing. Mm. It really impacts on Millie Bright's performances, performance level. Yeah, absolutely. 
I, I mean, it gets said so often as well, doesn't it? Like that, especially kind of, well, obviously this is a Team GB, isn't it? But I mean, mm. um, when England play, it's kind of, is it actually England or is it just like Man City, really? So, which I understand, obviously, they are kind of, uh, they're, they're at the top for a reason, but it just kind of feels a little bit like kind of, unless you're there, you're not really getting an opportunity to be kind of in the squad. And the fact that it's obviously opened up to being Team GB now, I guess I guess it's a little bit of a challenge, isn't it? Because obviously the rest of the nations aren't kind of huge advocates of kind of a Team GB. And it was like a real struggle to kind of even get yeah. a Team GB in the kind of first place. But the fact that there is kind of so few kind of other nation kind of players within the squad is, I guess that's a little bit frustrating because I feel like there's lots of kind of people who could really kind of contribute, especially, um, I, it's, I can't, I'm trying to think if anybody Welsh has actually made the squad. I don't think they have. have Especially Ingles in. Oh yeah, of course Ingles in. Yeah, she's their captain as well, isn't she? But I would, Mm. I mean, maybe I'm biased as a Reading fan, but I would really like to have seen Jess Fishlock in there as well, because I just think she's a phenomenal player. So yeah, it's just, it's a little kind of a bit of a challenge and it's kind of having that kind of Team GB, but really it's the England squad and really it's the Man City squad. Yeah. So yeah, (laughs) I don't know how controversial a kind of, kind of, kind of uh, idea that is, but yeah. Um, is there kind of anybody else in international football? Do you feel like there should be? Well, I mean, let's talk Australia, seeing as you are sat with uh, two cur shirts behind you. Kind of, you kind of touch on it slightly, saying about how you didn't think this Olympics was the one for them to kind of like the talents there, but you're just not quite sure that this Olympics is quite it for them. Mm. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, a couple of reasons for that. I mean, first of all, is is the group they're in, which is absolutely horrific. Mm-hmm. They're in sort of like the group of deaths to end all group of deaths, really. You, know, <laughs> you could argue that three of that group would make the semi-finals of, of a competition, basically, yeah. you know, been, been in there with America and Sweden as well. Mm. The other issue, obviously, is the international border's been closed, and it still is closed. It's been closed for nearly 18 months. Mm-hmm. So they've actually only had two, two games um, since last February at the moment. And those two games were, were had to be with European-based players only at that point. So there was an awful lot of players that, A, wouldn't have been selected otherwise, and B, were playing in weird positions <laughs> just because they had to put a team out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those two games against Germany and the Netherlands were quite horrific to watch at times. But, you know, this it's Sweden and Denmark the week after next. Is a pretty much strong team so that they've been able to get so the borders have opened enough for them to um, put Australian-based players out. Um, and Kyra Cooney-Cross has got a, um, a call-up, which is really exciting because she absolutely ripped up the W League for Melbourne Victory. She scored a winning goal in the last minute of extra time in the grand final nice. from a corner and meant it. Yeah. You know, she's 19... She's 19 years old and she's going to be an absolute superstar. Yeah, she will be the new Sam Kerr. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it'll just be really interesting to see how she goes. Nice, yeah. Do you, so I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to kind of still talk international, but why do you think we kind of saw, I, I guess, I guess you could say it was an influx. Why do you think we saw that influx of the Australian players move from the W League over to the WSL? Why do you think that happened? Mainly because the W League is a four month season uh it's it doesn't have a full home and away program um so firstly you know you can't make a career out of playing four months a year so Mm. they would then go on to play in america um but i think obviously sort of sort of like security of contracts to coming over here you can sign a two or three year contract whereas america and australia doesn't work like that basically you're on a 12 month contract W League is a four-month contract every single year, so there's no sort of security there. The W League is also it's not a full-time league, mm. so you know you've, this season you know you had players that couldn't go to away games because they had to work the next day, and you know an away an away trip out there is is a is a flight away. Yeah, yeah. You know, Perth Perth Glory for their away games, they play eight eight, eight away games a year. And seven of those are over six hours on a plane. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's profession. Unless you're a professional, you can't you can't do it. Yeah. 
do you do you think that the W League will become professional? Are they kind of on that way to becoming professional? And so that it's kind of, do you think there will be more teams as well, especially because obviously you're saying there's kind of. Yeah, I mean, there's there's talk that next season might have at least one, um, but um, I think maybe out of the World Cup, the World Cup legacy will hopefully help that out. But they've also signed recently in the last week a big TV deal mm. for the first proper time ever as well. So there's going to be more money coming in. There's going to be more games on free to air TV out there. So the potential's there, but I think realistically now the W League has gone from a league where the top top players are playing to kind of like a development league mm. but it, this season's competition that sort of ran from the end of December through to April it's the first time that it was mainly youngsters plus a few sort of old heads mm. and it was actually really enjoyable because the, you kind of got to see there's so much young talent out there that are already really good mm. Was there anybody that you that really kind of stuck out for you? I mean, obviously you've already mentioned one, but yeah, is there any, anybody else? Yeah, I mean, Cara Cunicross is just outstanding. You know, she's 19. And mm. yeah, I mean, if, if she keeps going how she has, she's got the world at her feet. Mm. Um, I think she obviously she needs to probably come and play in Europe to test herself. Like it's probably too early to come to England. I think she probably needs something like Scandinavia or somewhere where it's a bit, you know, maybe a, a step down for she goes up to a major league perhaps mm-hmm. um yeah and, you know, there's quite a few others that you know, jada wyman who's a aboriginal goalkeeper at sydney she's she's got a really interesting backstory because of her indigenous past and you know she she had to sort of camp out in a, in a tent in order to, to trial for, for clubs in canberra because she lived in you know she actually lived in literally in the back of beyond and had to you know travel for hours and hours and hours to sort of playing Canberra or whatever so yes so some of the you know the stories like that are really impressive and I guess Charlie Grant as well at Adelaide who's now gone to Rosengard as well she's just been called up for the first time so yeah there's there's a lot of promise out there anyway mm, interesting so you're saying that maybe Kyra would benefit from was it Kyra you said I think would benefit from maybe, cross, yeah. yeah yeah do you so do you think she would benefit from then joining was it Charlie at Rosengard because um yeah, like you said, kind of some maybe like Norwegian football or something, or some Scandinavian football possibly would be suited yeah. rather than going kind I mean, of straight quite, into. There's quite, there's quite a lot of them actually out in uh, Sweden at the moment. Um, Emmy Gilnick, who's not a young player at all, but she, you know she's out there. Dylan Holmes is out there. There's a, there's a few others as well. So there's quite a sort of cohort in Scandinavia as well as out here too. Nice. I think that kind of that's probably quite important as well I think because I feel like so like obviously we had at Christmas where a lot of players weren't able to go back and so kind of Chelsea made like a nice little package for Kerr didn't they and I think she had Caitlin Ford as well around so actually the fact there is kind of little kind of pockets of Aussies kind of scattered about the place is actually quite nice really and I think it's probably quite I guess is do you think that's kind of part of the kind of culture of like Australian football as well to kind of have their little like like kind of families that are not families around the place? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you sort of follow any of them on social media, you sort of seen like in the last week or so, now everyone can get out and about a bit. Like literally every single Matilda in England went on a massive bender in London <laughs> last week and you know, just, just sort of like saw half the team there together. So, so yeah, and obviously London, a lot of them are based in London as well, which is, is it's always got a massive Aussie community yeah. as well. Yeah, of course. Got to have their coffee club somewhere as well, haven't they? Yes. <laughs> um, cool. Um, I mean, we've gone kind of. I've I went kind of international. I've gone small again, like as in clubs level. So let's go back to international as well again. Was there, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about the Olympics? Do you feel like there's um, anybody kind of that we should be looking out for? Any teams that you feel like? Obviously, we've talked about England and we've talked about Australia. Is there anybody you're particularly looking forward to watching play? I don't know. I mean, I guess that you know, there's always like the usual suspects, isn't there? You know, you've got the America and you Sweden and you know those types of teams. I be, I'm, I guess a, a lower level. I'm going to be interested to see Chile because mm. I think Christiana Endler's a really good goalkeeper. Um, and if she selected Cote Rojas, he's an amazing striker who's, who's been brilliant for Adelaide United. But I've, because she's kind of on my patch for beyond 90, I've seen a lot of her state-level games mm. for Salisbury Inter. I mean, obviously, it's a state-level game, which I suppose it's probably equivalent to, I don't know, maybe Tier 3 or Tier 4 yeah. in England. 
but I mean, she's just absolutely ripping it up. So it'd be interesting to see how she would translate that into the Olympics, perhaps. Mm, interesting. I think the Olympics is a really strange one for football, isn't it? Because I feel like in the in the kind of men like in the men's kind of game, no, no one's really too fussed about the Olympics. It's not really a thing. Whereas in the kind of women's game, like being part of the Olympics is kind of massive. I guess maybe that's where kind of we are kind of slightly lower profile is the fact that actually if you can get a team and you can get kind of uh, an Olympics call up, then that's like a big tick on your kind of C, like footballing CV as a woman. Uh-huh. Why do you why do you think that is? Any like any thoughts on that at all? I suppose it's probably because the women's tournament is open to all players whereas the men's is sort of age restricted isn't it as well mm. i guess yeah that is a very good point indeed yeah I, and like i said i feel like maybe because there is kind of possibly less opportunities as it is kind of actually if you can get to the olympics then why not mm. so yeah hmm, that's interesting whilst we are on the topic of internationals let's talk euros as well so obviously it's been delayed till is it delayed till next year i do you know what i'm yeah. so like pandemic minded right now i can't even think what's been delayed to when <laughs> but yeah so euro 2022 next year so 6th to the 31st of july i think it is like are you excited for the euros that is the question yeah i think it's going to be really interesting so i think you can make an argument for at least six or seven teams that could maybe possibly win it mm. which is you know kind of more so than you'd have probably any men's competition you know you kind of i guess you know you look at france and germany and, and i think you've got to put spain in there now yeah. as well mm-hmm. definitely you know holland and yeah i mean there's all sorts of teams that that could win it and i think it, i just think it'd be really interesting to see northern ireland as well because they was just like an absolute was well, heroic that they came through and they deserved to come through the way they played in those games they absolutely deserved it yeah. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they go. I mean, it'll, it'll be tough for them, but mm. you know, it's great that they're there. Yeah. No, absolutely. I don't think as well that they should be kind of ruled out in any way, even though so we played that friendly against them, didn't they? And kind of they made oh. us look a bit good, really, because I think we won six nil. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't think um, you can really kind of rule them out definitely could be a little bit of a wild card in there i think i think the other thing that's really exciting about the euros obviously it's a home euros like who doesn't want to have a home euros that's amazing to i think that's going to be really exciting anyway are you intending to go to any games at all you're going to try and get to some games for I'd, you? Like, I'd like to yeah i mean i guess you know in the london area there's quite a few years brentford there's, there's arsenal there's, you know, there's wembley even brighton which is a fantastic venue to mm. watch football so yeah yeah i'd love to absolutely would love to yeah yes um just a reminder to everybody that you can pre-register for your tickets that is possible to do so um i literally as soon as the link came out i was like right on it and it's like where do you want to go and i think i just ticked everything <laughs> like just a chance to see anybody anywhere would be great i think the other thing that's really exciting about the euros obviously it's going to be going to be the actual kind of event is exciting but i think the kind of legacy projects that they've kind of kind of developed around it so the kind of idea of in fact i mentioned it um i think it was in episode eight um kind of how they're sort of intending to kind of lay foundations for kind of like coaching and refereeing and like local leaders and stuff like that to kind of so there's obviously the big focus on the actual games that take place and kind of all of the events but actually there's a much kind of bigger plan kind of around the um like areas that the the games are being shown in so yeah i think that's kind of really important for women's football kind of what do you think about that as well yeah i mean i think with, it, with anything isn't it legacy is always a big deal you kind of think of some of the olympics in the past where everything sort of like turned into a bit of a white elephant and you see all the you know the sort of the venues like two years later crumbling and not used and that so yeah it's massive because it's it's again it's another excuse another chance to grow the game isn't it and it's it's that's still massive yeah no definitely i also i'm pretty sure that carol who i spoke to from crawley old girls in episode three i'm pretty sure she's part of the like legacy project at brighton as well actually so that's really exciting i'm kind of a little bit jealous actually that anybody's kind of involved in that sort of thing so yeah it's going to be a really exciting kind of build up to the event over the next kind of mm. year or so and then obviously when the actual event takes place like fingers crossed we see kind of stadiums full how amazing would that be to see yeah cool lovely okay right so let's go to impetus now because obviously that is kind of like you are the brainchild of impetus um that is your kind of your baby i guess we could say kind of in the women's football world 
kind of go back. So obviously you you founded it in kind of 2018, didn't you? Kind of what what inspired you to kind of start it up? Kind of what what made you kind of decide? Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Yeah, I think when I so I said did the bits and a few bits and pieces on Norwich City women around the World Cup, um, and it wasn't really realistic for me to sort of carry on any further for them sort of for geographical reasons. I I kind of sort of had a bit of exposure to the women's football family and, and really liked really liked that and you know the sort of the sort of the camaraderie and the, the closeness and the friendliness and and you know and everything that comes with it. So that was I guess the main reason behind it. I wanted to sort of have some kind of continued role within it. So, you know, it started up and sort of, you know, from then generally every sort of every week there's like a, a feature on a different grassroots club. Um that we've managed to do pretty much every week since then. I think, you know, we've never had any club higher than a championship team in there and only, and only two championship clubs have ever, ever ever gone in there in that time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of whom are probably the top, top, top championship teams as well. So it's it's been good to sort of shine a light, I guess, on the sort of tier three and, you know, much lower. Um, and one of the really good things that came out of the site starting to do really well was the fact that you know we can actually now sponsor a couple of players mm. um so we, we sponsor a player at Chorley in um National League Division 1 North we've got a player at Wroxham uh in Tier 5 um there's joint sponsor player at Sutton United in Tier 6 mm-hmm. um you know and, and they will do sort of features with us every month and various things about the club which will go out so it, it kind of there's player sponsorship but we also sort of kind of cover the clubs that they're involved with as well and the clubs are really good at you know Roxham and Chorley in particular are really good at sort of publicising the website as well so it's kind of a bit win-win yeah um yeah and for next season already there's a couple of teams that have said you know we'd quite like to get involved already so there's there's certainly another team in tier seven there's certainly tier seven at the moment but I think they may be going the promotion at, at some point as well. So there's, yeah, there's another team in tier six or seven, depending on how that goes, and possibly tier six. So it's quite, yeah, it's it's what we're able to do now, give a bit back as well, grass, which, which is, I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. That's nice that it's kind of, as you say, like a win-win because it kind of goes both ways. The fact that you get to kind of write about these amazing teams and like write about these really great players, but equally they're quite happy to kind of be like, oh, look, someone's written about us, kind of really promote you. Yeah, so like that kind of two-way promotion is really exciting. Um, You are recognised by the Women's Sport Alliance. Kind of how did that come about? I bet that was really exciting when that happened as well. Yeah, I mean, they that was, again, one of these really bizarre things that kind of you don't ever expect to happen to you. It was, uh, when was it? It was, it was the end of April, beginning of May this year. Um, mm. And I, I, actually, I was sat in a staff room at work one lunchtime and just sort of on the wear a cage that you can actually have your phone on in a school day. <laughs> um, and this message just pinged up saying, oh, somebody's, from the Women's Sports Alliance, saying, oh, somebody's nominated you as sort of like um, media contributor of the month. And you know you, you won. It was like, ah, oh, crikey! You know, you know, first the fact that a somebody would would do that, and also I guess the fact that someone recognises that, you know, you've done you've done something. Mm. Which you know, when you, when you yourself are in it, you kind of just you don't recognise that. You just kind of do it because yeah, yeah. it's what you like to do. Mm. I guess, isn't it? And yeah, it, it's nice. It, it's just it's just weird. I still can't get my head around the fact that you know you get messages and contact from players at whatever level yeah you know every now and then and and stuff it yeah it just, just stuff like that doesn't happen to you it feels like so, but yeah it was it was a massive surprise but amazing yeah yeah it's really nice to kind of see that kind of growth from obviously just starting out kind of back in 2018 and now you can kind of tick a few things off maybe a, a, mm. a list well I guess maybe not even a list just yeah as you say kind of was surprised that it even happened in the first place so yeah that's really really exciting um tell me how you got involved with International Surrey because obviously they're just kind of up the road for me so yeah just and I'm yeah very much kind of like keeping an eye on what they do and stuff like that and actually um we kind of Obviously, I run women's football in Berkshire, so I kind of we kind yeah. of engage occasionally and kind of have a little bit of banter across kind of Twitter and things like that. So yeah, how, tell me how you got involved with that. Well, again, I think basically it was just because I think they saw 
I don't know if it was, it was me personally, my own personal truth feed or the site's personal truth feed, obviously both of which are Surrey based. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it kind of, I think it kind of went from there saying, you know, effectively, you know, well, we're, we're based in Surrey, you know, as, as are we. So, you know, what, what, what can we sort of do? So, I, you know, there's not that many county football is not a big deal anymore in the way that it used to be a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and particularly the fact that, you know, in, in, they're offering representative football in a different way to what historically it's always been as well, I think makes it quite an interesting project to, to, to take on. And, you know, they're very active in promoting themselves and women's football on social media as well, which, mm -hmm. you know, for a county organised thing is quite a big a big thing. And I think it's quite interesting to be linked with, with that and how they're developing things within Surrey, I think. Yeah, absolutely. They did uh, also tweet me and ask if there might be a Berkshire one, and I just replied saying, watch this space, so who knows? <laughs> um, yeah. Do you feel like maybe we might see county football come back then because of that? Because they're obviously, like, I think they've only played one game now, haven't they? But they, as you say, they're really great at kind of promoting themselves on social media and everything looks very positive. They've just launched a charity shirt. There's just kind of, there seems yeah. to be lots going on there. So do you feel like maybe we might see a bit of, like, a resurgence of county football again? I think it, it depends on the county. Mm. You know, there's... Um, I always struggle to use the word county and Cornwall in the same um, <laughs> sentence because officially they they claim that they're not, which is le legally is still true. They're not. <laughs> um, you know, Cornwall very much... have very much gone along that road um, for the last couple of years. And I think their sort of unique identity will make them a, you know, a big player in that respect. Mm. And then obviously Yorkshire as well for slightly different and less political reasons as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think it depends on, sort of, I guess, individual county identities, I think, because some, some counties are stronger in what they represent, I guess, and where they come from compared to, compared to others. Yeah. And I guess to be fair, Surrey is someone that you probably would, would not necessarily identify as having a you know like a hardcore identity sort yeah. of thing but fair play to them yeah no absolutely yeah it's, it's very exciting i quite like seeing kind of what's popping up for them and stuff like that so yeah who knows we might see a resurgence in county football possibly um so kind of in terms of impetus and the future kind of what what's the plan there like what would you what would you, is there anything you particularly would like to see happen is there anywhere you'd particularly like to see covered I think you know it's it's always good to sort of get different sort of levels covered and that. I mean, we, although you know we, we said we've done a lot of club features at um, national league level and, and lower. There's there's not there's only so much that you know one person can do without others getting involved as well in terms of widening coverage. So yeah, you know any anybody taking on a women's national league review could be handy um yeah and i guess you know maybe even like add, adding maybe other countries as well so we've, we've just got someone in ireland who's doing a few bits and pieces which is really nice mm. um so yeah you know yeah a couple of other countries would be nice to get people interested in in writing and uh, you know i mean i guess you know everybody has their sort of tick list of people they'd like to interview or things they'd like to do um you know that, i guess that, that's part of the course but but yeah i think yeah, I guess you've always got to kind of look to what else can you do. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of kind of, obviously you mentioned countries there. So in terms of kind of, obviously we're talking about grassroots here, kind of that's my big passion in terms of why I mm. do this podcast and kind of non-league football. Is there anything, obviously you just kind of mentioned National League there. Is there anything you kind of particularly would love to kind of cover or kind of do in terms of grassroots football? I mean, I think... It's been helpful for some of the sponsorships we've done. So next, next, I think the only one that I can probably safely mention at the moment that's that's sorted out is a Houston in Cornwall. They're mm -hmm. um, sponsoring two players down there, actually um, identical twins. Uh, funny <laughs> enough, nice. um, and you know, Houston are a club that are, have come from right down the bottom mm. just to re-establish a women's team and. You know, they had a really good FA Cup run that it took Southampton to beat them in the end. Yeah. Quite a heavy score, but, you know, the fact that they got that far to play a team like Southampton when they're quite 
you know, when they're basically a Cornwall league team. Yeah, absolutely. It's impressive in itself. So, yeah, I, mean, I think it, it'd, it's, it'd be nice to sort of be able to get more of an Im- regular impact from that sort of level, I guess, too. I mean, you know, obviously through the sponsorship, you'll get regular pieces on those individual clubs or those individual players. But yeah. I suppose that's still slightly narrower than ideally you'd like. Yeah. But that again, but that's reliant on finding people that would would do it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a massive geek, so I'm currently kind of in the middle of kind of set writing, like setting up my own Excel spreadsheet of all the teams, essentially. So yeah, just I'm I've done all the way down to tier six. Although actually, after yesterday's announcement of promotion and stuff like that, I'm gonna have to rejig mm-hmm. it again. But yeah, there just is such a sheer number of kind of when you get down to like tier sevens like proper county league stuff the kind of sheer number of clubs that are around yeah as you say kind of actually kind of just one person doing that is there's a lot to kind of deal with there so yeah like getting kind of more people involved would be interesting i guess and obviously like as a someone who kind of covers the berkshire kind of stuff like the 26 teams that i cover is chaos at some times so the fact that kind of when you think how many kind of leagues there are yeah absolutely so i guess that's maybe something that you'd like people to kind of maybe get involved some more contributors for impetus yeah i mean you know you can you can never like anything you can never have enough people you know and and again you know it is again you're reliant like most women's not most women's football clubs are you're relying on volunteers aren't you as well so that's always a struggle at the best of times but yeah yeah i mean it's 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 getting a good readership you know i mean some of the pieces on i guess i guess roxham i guess is a good example some of the pieces there have been read sort of like four or five hundred times and Mm. that's for a club in tier five that's quite unexpected so you know the audience potentially is there it's it's just having the people that would be willing to give time to do it, I guess, like like most things in life, yeah. isn't it? Well, I mean, here's a calling for it now if anybody wants to get involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, so you kind of mentioned sort of struggles of kind of volunteers and stuff like that. So kind of let's speak sort of sl- slightly kind of more broadly. What do you think are kind of the biggest challenges within kind of women's football right now? So it doesn't matter if that's kind of up in tier one or all the way down to tier seven or internationally or, yeah, whatever it is. Kind of what do you feel like is the kind of challenges that we're seeing in women's football right now? Well, that's a question that I always put in when I do the, the um, features of the grassroots club. And basically, I think through all the God knows how many we've done now, it must be over 50 or so. It basically boils down to two things. You know, one one of which is money, and the other which is is people. Yeah. Basically, that's what it boils down to. <clears throat> and whilst it's fantastic the amount of money that's now coming into the top level, that you know, let's be honest, it's not trickling down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true indeed. Yeah, I think. Do you think feel like that will kind of we'll see more of that trickle down in the next few years or do you feel like it is still going to kind of remain in those kind of top two elite I think, tiers i think it's it's it'll probably have to it'll come down to the clubs involved mm. and i guess you know do the clubs involved want to end up sharing money with lower down the system i mean actually i i think there's an argument for saying it's not the top two leagues at all it's just the top league yeah because the championship is you know, it's. I mean, yes. In terms of quality, it's 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 good. I mean, you just look at the struggles that Liverpool have had mm-hmm. this year, yeah. um, and potentially Bristol City will have next year mm-hmm. as well. But it's not a particularly well-funded league. Yeah, that's true. And you know, the clubs in there, there's a lot of struggles. Well, I guess, in the championship as well. Yeah, I guess you have to look and see that only maybe half of the teams in the championship are actually professional, aren't they? So the rest of yeah. them are kind of semi-professional. And there's still yeah. people, even in the professional kind of setups, that probably go to work or they work mm. part-time still. So, yeah, absolutely, it's still there. Like, Yeah, could you imagine, I mean, kind of looking even on the scale between, I guess, the Premier League and like, League One, for example, like imagine one of them lot kind of, being like, oh yeah, I've just been to work, um, but I'm coming to training now. Yeah, it'd just be insane, wouldn't it? And even, but yeah. even lower than that, in fact, actually, there's probably a lot of people who actually don't have to go to work because they can afford to mm. kind of live. Yeah, so yeah, no, I get that. Um, you said people. Let's kind of delve into that. What do you mean, people? <laughs> it's it's volunteers, and it's kind of basically what we touched on before. It's, it's volunteers at all roles. So you know, lots of 
volunteers is, is either the, the same old handful of people mm. that eventually are not going to get any younger and end up with the way things are going in terms of social media and all the rest of it it's the same old people having to do more and more things yeah um and they're not getting any younger um which i guess it, i mean and that's probably more of a that's probably more of a concern in maybe sports like rugby union i think possibly but you know, women's football is definitely growing, but I think it, like like anything, volunteer, volunteer time in any sphere is is an issue for you know whether you're a charity, you know whether you're, you know whether you're a school, wherever you are, and you know women's football is just part of that, unfortunately. I think. Right? Yeah, that is very true. I also think you could maybe put in that kind of people category, just kind of attitudes of people in general. Obviously, that's a real kind of can be a real. Yeah a real hindrance for the women's game absolutely and I think I've probably had this conversation with everybody that I've kind of interviewed about the whole kind of nobody cares all of that sort of stuff get back in the kit yeah just the just the usual suspects of it and yeah so I guess that is still a huge kind of challenge for the women's game do you feel like we're maybe tipping the balance on that slightly and people like we are seeing less of that or yeah what, what are your thoughts on that I think to an extent we are, it's hard because I think to an extent attitudes are changing, but at the same time, there's a lot more high profile cases of, um, I was going to say negativity, but I think that's a strong enough word, Um, you know, stuff, you know, sort of rubbish being thrown at people and, Mm. you know, unfair criticism, you know, just, just because they're, you know, just because, yeah, I guess Alex Scott is a prime example, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I think there's a lot, there's a lot more acceptance and a lot more respect, but I think at its worst, it is worse than probably it has been. Mm. I think maybe that has a lot to do with social media because obviously mm. the trouble is, is that with social media, is there obviously like, the power of social media is incredible both positively and negatively isn't it so i mean it means that there's so much more exposure for the women's game and like from top tier all the way down to kind of tier seven so i myself kind of run the kind of socials that we have for my football team when we play tier seven and yeah i've made some like really kind of i guess yeah friends i've made some friends some acquaintances everything you can think of kind of everything in between through the kind of power of social media but equally you kind of see all of the kind of like everyone's got to give their little two pence haven't they and kind of there's a lot of people who are kind of keyboard warriors who are quite happy to kind of sit behind a little blue egg with a kind of false kind of name that's not anything to do with them and kind of give their kind of yeah as i said their two pence on what they think of the women's game so yeah it's kind of I don't know if it's maybe I'm not sure you could say it's equal parts good equal parts good I don't really know what the balance is there but yeah as you said as well about Alex Scott so it's it's a real kind of yeah I'm I'm not sure what the word is but one for contention indeed yeah hmm okay equally where do you feel like kind of the strides are being made in women's football kind of what's the kind of positive areas of women's football that you can that you've observed I, mean, I think it's you know it's it's player development it's opportunities i mean opportunities is the biggest thing isn't it you look at now the huge number of clubs that are offering you know opportunities for kids that are you know three and four years old girls mm. as you know that young to be able to play which has never been the opportunity before you know so just to simply the fact that more girls are getting the opportunity to play means that, you know, the next generation is going to produce more and more. There's going to be more ball players coming into the system at, <clears throat> at whatever level you're at, which can only be a good thing. Um, and I think it's 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 the mass, the big thing is role models, isn't it? I mean, mm. I've worked in schools for what, nearly 20, 20 years now, I'm showing my age. <laughs> um, and, you know, for the first time, girls can... You've always had your, your couple of girls play football in the playground, but not only do you see far more than that now, they've also got players that they can see like them that are on TV now. Yeah. And that's never been the case, you know, in only in the last few, you know, I don't know, five years or so. Yeah, absolutely. I you think... know, you, you can't, you know, some. I think somebody said, you know, you can't be who you can't see. Yeah. 
and that's the biggest thing. Yeah, see it to believe it. I think I say it every episode. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I guess I mean, you must have seen it. The kind of the viral photo that went around, kind of social media stuff like that, of um, the little girl who was kind of mimicking Ellie Roebuck. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of see that's right there. And that 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 yeah. As I said, it went viral, and it just the outpouring that kind of happened was really amazing to see. And I think a few people have kind of spoken to her mum as well about stuff like that. So yeah, it's really exciting. I think another thing I saw the other day as well was I think it was just some random PE teacher that I saw on Twitter and the head teacher had kind of approached her and been like, can you go out on the playground and go and just kick a ball about with the kids? So yeah, um, even kind of myself as well. So um, I coach on Saturdays as well. I say coach. I will use that term very loosely. It's mainly just me being a giant kid for an hour. <laughs> but um, our team set up a Wildcat Centre um, so I'm part of that as well and I've been able to kind of promote it in work a little bit so that's exciting so actually especially I think it's kind of easy to have a conversation with girls about it but actually equally having a conversation with a lot of the boys that I kind of tutor mm. so when I have a conversation like when I have that initial conversation with them as well and I'm like oh yeah I play football as well because that's kind of it's a good in kind of asking the kids what they do on the weekend and mm. so when I then tell them oh yeah I play football as well it's often initially kind of met with a but you're a girl you play football and then actually in the last kind of I don't know six weeks kind of two months actually it's just a normal part of our conversation now where mm -hmm. I ask them how their game was at the weekend and then they ask me how my game was at the weekend so yeah it's just about kind of getting it kind of I guess I'm, I don't want to use the word but normalizing it really so that yeah girls can play football like it's very much a viable option that girls play football yeah so yeah yeah, yeah absolutely Ben, is there anything else you would like to add? I feel like that's a good kind of place to pause. Mm. I, I think that's kind of, I think that's it, isn't it, really? I guess you kind of try to give grassroots a shout-out as well as the, the higher level of the game, and that's that's massively important, I think. Yeah, I think that's cool. Unless there's anything else you think of... Not particularly, other than just if you're keen to get involved, speak to Ben because Impetus is a great little setup to kind of get involved in. If you've got a burning desire to write for something international or grassroots, then yeah, absolutely, I think anybody should get involved. And photos as well. Yeah, there we go then, a <laughs> photographer. Yeah, we all need photos. <laughs> yeah, there we go then. So if you are a photographer with a keen eye and fancy kind of getting your pictures out there, then Ben is the man to speak to. Amazing. Right, in that case, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been good to chat. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to kind of put a face to a name finally. Mm. Cool. Brilliant. Thank Definitely. you. And thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in to episode 10 of the latest series in the Selk podcast production. Expect to hear many more interviews from those involved in the women's grassroots game, as well as news, history and everything else in between. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. So if you ever want to reach out to me, I'm always happy to chat football or anything else for that matter. Feel free to get in touch with me on social media. Stay safe out there, wear a mask, wash your hands, follow the guidelines and catch you all soon for series two. I've been your host, Abby, and you've been listening to Matchfix. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.